Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. about uh, the genius of Jesus, and our topic specifically is defeating the devil. So this is all fitting. And on a Mother's Day, especially, because you ain't, you ain't seeing anybody mad till someone gets after mama's babies, right? When mama bear comes out. Oh, I love mama bears. I love mama bears unless they're at me, right? Today we're going to focus, what if I told you that the genius of Jesus, that one of Jesus's, in fact, Jesus's very first act as Messiah filled with the Holy Spirit was to defeat the devil. Would you be interested if you could learn maybe a, a few points or a, or, or, or a system to practice that you could personally begin to defeat the devil in your life? Would that be interesting to you? Anybody here ever been tempted? Anybody ever, anybody ever fail? Fall into temptation? See, the enemy is the tempter. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. Jesus called him the father of lies. All he ever does is lie. If you're being spoken to or, or talked to by the enemy or any of his little minions, you instantly know he's lying. It, it can have a little truth wound into it to make it believable, but, but he's lying. And it's important that we understand how to defeat him. I was tempted yesterday. We had a little birthday party. 14 teenage girls spending the night at the house. I was tempted to leave and go to Oklahoma. <laughs> no, but the next morning when I woke up, Jennifer had gotten a whole box of kolaches. Oh my God, I love a kolache. This is like mm, heated up with mustard on it. That's just like heaven. Anything with gluten is wonderful, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, defeated, I defeated the devil. I, I tore the bread off it and just had the sausage. And I, I won a great victory yesterday. But earlier in the week, I, I, I failed. I, I fell into temptation, and I want to confess that today. Can I confess? Will you forgive me if I confess? The Bible says confess your sins, and he'll forgive you of your sins. Well, I, 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 got, I, I messed up this week. Um, my wife, who's an incredible driver, she jokes that she missed her calling. She should be either a, a, a race car driver or an assassin, and I say both. That would be amazing. You should be both. Um, but, but she missed her calling. But she's an incredible driver, but on... Wednesday, the week before last, she had a bad day, and she didn't see somebody and pulled out and hit a guy, and um, we had board meetings all evening, so she shows up with her, and her, she just got a, a, you know, a, a different car, and it was beautiful and clean and no spot or blemish anywhere, and now it, it had significant damage, and so she was upset, and, and, uh, it, but it was, run, it was drivable. We were going to take it home, figure it out the next day. Well, late that night, 1030 at 11 at night, we're driving home after all these meetings, and, and um, there was concrete in the road. It had fallen off a truck or something, and I swerved and missed it, and she swerved and missed one but hit another one in massive blowout. Now we're on the side of the road for an hour and 45 minutes waiting for the tow truck to show up, and we had selected our service center that we wanted the car to go to, and when the guy shows up, he begins his sales pitch and the reasons why he couldn't take it here. And I mean, I'll just have to take it there. And if I, I take it here, they're not going to be able to accept it. There's no night drop and blah, blah, blah. So let's take it over here and we have our own body shop and we'll take care of it. And, and no, we work with every insurance and we'll this and we'll that and we'll whatever, whatever, whatever. 
And it's an hour and a half. It's now it's 11.45 at night. I'm like, just fine, just take it. Let me, I want to get home. I'll figure it out tomorrow. Well, we try to call the insurance. We miss each other with the insurance, file our claim. We get a, 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 a voicemail that says the insurance lady is out for an, a full week uh, on vacation. So we're like, well, we're not going to sit around. Well, the body shop guy calls me, says, hey, I can do all the work, expert work. We warranty the work. We do great, whatever, 50 years in the city, blah, 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 blah. He was smooth, slick, whatever. Slick is the word. I hope you're watching, you sucker. Anyway, so um, not really. He still has my car. Uh, but but, but I, got, I got scammed. And, and, and it took us a few days. He sent me paperwork. He will we'll take care of everything, carte blanche. What, you don't have to worry about anything, blah, 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 blah. And we get in touch with the insurance company. And now the insurance company says, no, we don't actually work with them. And we won't warranty the work and all this, whatever. So I had just committed maybe 20 minutes earlier uh, and, and made the little digital signatures or whatever. And I call the guy right back and say, hey, look, my wife's not comfortable. We're going to go ahead and have the car picked up. Oh, I, we're, we're, we warranty, we warranty. Well, you know, but I know, but my wife needs to be happy and we're going to take this this other way. And so, okay, fine, whatever you want. Well, three days later, the insurance is blowing up my phone. They're like, he won't release the vehicle. Well, what do you mean he won't release the vehicle? Well, he says you owe $1,000. I, I owe $1,000. Yeah, well, 500 and something for towing. I paid for towing cash right there on the spot. What do you mean 500 and something for towing? Uh, and this and that and holding fees and all this. I said, well, let me tell you something. I was right in the middle of a pastor's meeting. I said, I said that's a bunch of bull, and I will call this guy right, and the, the pastors go, okay, meeting adjourned. And I had to leave the building because I wasn't going to have this conversation in the church. Because Pastor Joel took his Pastor Joel hat off, and I was going to handle business, but then... Guys, I lost it. I, I, something triggered in me about being victimized, about being taken advantage of that triggered something deep in me. I lost my, I dropped my basket. I was not pastoral at all. In fact, the opposite. This guy, thank God, doesn't know that I'm a pastor because I embarrassed myself with how angry I was. I yelled at a man for a long time. And he was so slick because he ran this scam on everybody. Oh, no, sir. The, the, I'm sorry, sir. You feel this way. No, no. No, the tow truck guy, he doesn't work for me. He's not on my staff. He doesn't. I'm like, you sucker. And I mean, they I mean, just ran the scam and the whole thing. I call my insurance company back. They're like, yeah, you got scammed. I mean, you either have to pay the thousand bucks to get the car back or you can just let him do the work. And as long as he'll warranty the work. And, and, and it was, I had to call the guy back and apologize. And because I don't want to mess my car up more. And, and then I, as I'm calling him back, I realized the first thing that the voicemail says when you call is, this is a recorded line. Everything you do and say will be recorded. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is really bad. So anyway, I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't want you to get your hands on that recording, but praise God for his grace and forgiveness. And I repented to him. My car's going to get fixed. Come on. We're not perfect, are we? We all mess up. You ever drop your basket? You ever, normally, I turn all those things over to Jennifer and let her let Mama Bear get after him. But this day, I, I fell into temptation. There's nothing wrong with getting angry. The Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. And each and every one of us have the opportunity to fall into temptation. The enemy's an expert. He knows just what buttons to push with you. See, he, he knows that the button for me, because of what I endured in my childhood being taken advantage of by uh, someone older than me that victimized me, is a massive trigger. So any time in my life that I feel like someone is trying to scam me, take advantage of me, there's a rage that comes over me that I can't even hardly control. Because um, I, I don't like bullies. And I don't like people picking or taking advantage of other people. It makes me 
very angry. So the devil knows my button. You know, I've never walked one time. I've never walked into a, a bank and looked around and said, man, I could knock this place over so easy. I've never been tempted. Can you believe that? I've never been tempted to rob a bank, not once in my whole life. It's not my button. But other people, some of you are like, mm, I've thought about it quite a bit, actually. We've got some strategy. We've got a special YouTube channel, techniques and whatever. I, I, everyone's got a different, I've never been tempted to do drugs. It's not a temptation for me. I'm not interested. Needles, are you kidding me? Ugh. Freaks me out. Other people love that stuff. The devil knows your buttons. He, he, because listen, it's everybody, it's connected to your own personal flesh. I want to give you a little clinic on temptation to help you understand it. See, we've heard this saying throughout our lives, the devil made me do it. He doesn't actually make you do it. He just convinces you it's the right choice. And then you choose to do it. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. James chapter 1:13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot tempt by evil, nor does he tempt. So any temptation is not from God. We understand that. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. The good news out of this passage is that, number one, God's not the one tempting you. Number two, it's not sin until you act on it. So just being tempted is not actually sin. See, the enemy oftentimes will try to shame you or condemn you because you actually desire that thing. And he'll get you to think that that's who you, you're, you actually wanting or desiring that thing makes you guilty enough that you might as well just do it. You might as well just act on it. But the reality is it's not sin until it's acted upon. While it's a desire, the battle is waging. See, Paul the apostle said, what I've come to realize in Romans chapter 7, he says that it's not actually me doing the sin. He said there's a war waging inside of me. My spirit and my flesh are at war. My spirit wants to do right, but I can't. My flesh wants to do wrong, and I keep giving into it. It says what I long to do, I can't do, and what I hate, I keep doing. And he says, who can save me from this body of death? And then he says, but thanks be to God, for through Jesus Christ, therefore there is now no condemnation. Guys, that's a beautiful and amazing thing. You, as long as you are alive, you will have flesh. As long as you are alive, your flesh will desire and crave for other, for other things. But that's not the true you. The true you, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that I call holy disassociation. You need to disassociate from that identity connected to your flavor of sin that you're that your own flesh desires, because that's not the true you. When you fall into that, that's not the true you. Paul said, it's not me doing it, it's sin in me. The true me wants to serve God. And holy disassociation is one of the first things that you can learn to begin to defeat temptation when you say, no, 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 that's not me. That's not who I really am. That's not what I truly want. That's just sin in me, that's flesh in me. So if we're going to defeat the enemy, defeating the enemy begins with defeating temptation. I want to give you the three categories of all temptations. First, John 2, 16. Uh, John, the apostle says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from the Father, not from the Father, pardon me, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So three categories. Every temptation falls into those three. The lust of your flesh, what your flesh wants. The pride of life, 
what you, because of your pride, because of what you deserve, because of who you think you are, and all this kind of whatever, and, 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 and your position, and your status, or the lust of the eyes, the things that your eyes see, that your eye desires. And the enemy knows just how to work your buttons, and the more connected you are into the world, the, the easier it is for him. You, if you have kids, you remember when you would let your kids watch TV and all the commercials and all that kind of stuff, and they would come down telling you all the different things that they need, that they have to have because they saw it on a commercial somewhere. The commercials are, are meant to entice. They're meant to ensnare. They're meant to create desire. I hate it when I'm trying to eat right and I see commercials about pizza or something with cheese and sauce and savory and, oh my gosh, I'm trying to eat right. The world is really good at selling its goods, selling its wares. Another thing, good thing to understand and, and is that um, we have a high priest, according to Hebrews, that has endured every type of temptation and overcome the enemy. Today, I want to walk you through Jesus's first battle in this human form with the devil. I'm going to read the passage to you. It wasn't Jesus's first engagement with the enemy because the enemy used to be in heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and he took one-third of the angels with him. So Satan is real. I've heard it said, and you've probably heard, that the greatest deception the enemy ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. He is very real. He has an agenda. You'll see his agenda inside of the scripture I'm about to read to you. He has one-third of the angels that fell are now demons or fallen angels, and that, that's his military force. And so he has great numbers. There's a lot of them. But the good news is that two-thirds of the angels are on our side. So we have them outnumbered. And God is greater than the enemy. He's already defeated him. The, one of the scriptures declares that the reason Jesus came was to, to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. And when you think of works, I want you to think of siege works. Like the ancient, uh, when you would see the movies about an ancient war where there would be a walled city. And, and the army would come and they would put that city under siege. And then they would have all of these different apparatus that they would use to scale these walls. The Bible says that, our, that the weapons that we war with in our carnal, they're mighty through, for God. Through, for the tearing down of strongholds. For the demolishing of high places and every in arguments and every thought um, that goes uh, that, that exalts itself above the image of Christ, we're supposed to take captive. The battle that you have with the enemy is not a physical battle; it's a battle that's inside of your mind, and it's a battle where he erects siege works inside of your mind and tries to take over the fortress of your mind and establish for himself a castle of thought that you will begin to defend because of your arguments and your high places and all the thoughts that you allow to run rampant inside of your mind. I could go off on all kinds of science uh, about this type of thing because I've studied it for a decade or more. The science of, of, of psychology, positive psychology, and the science of your thoughts and how thoughts actually work inside of your brain. And, and, and what you need to understand is that you have nine, literally millions of thoughts a day. 95% of them are subconscious. You don't even know you're having them. You don't, think, you don't think about in three, two, one, I'm going to pose while I'm in the middle of a conversation. It just happens. It's an automatic thing. You're not aware that you're doing certain things. You don't think about blinking. You don't think about breathing. Only 5% of your thoughts are actually conscious thoughts. Those are the only ones you have control over. But the amazing, the amazing thing is that every single one of those, those 5%, every one of those thoughts that you are aware of comes with a moment of decision. 
And you can choose whether you take that thought captive or you allow that thought free reign. And if you allow that thought free reign, it creates an entire cycle of electromagnetic and biochemistry inside of your body that shifts and changes you on on a biological level. It's incredible. The power of thoughts. God said, "As as a man thinks, so is he. And so it's important that we learn how to master our thoughts. But I'm gonna tell you this is very important. You do not beat or defeat the enemy with your thoughts. He will defeat you with your thoughts. There's another ingredient I'm going to teach you about for how you can defeat the enemy. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Actually, we're going to start in the end of Matthew 3.16 and go right into Matthew 4. This is where I left off a couple of weeks ago. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So we see the Holy Spirit descend, heaven is open. Jesus obeyed God, heaven opens, the spirit descends and remains. And God speaks with an audible voice. There were people there that heard the audible voice, and recognized the audible voice of God. Other people just heard thunder, uh, but God spoke and affirmed Jesus. And verse four, chapter four, verse one, the very next verse says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wait a second. The very first act of the Messiah after receiving the fullness of God was to be led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Joel, you just said that the, that the spirit of God, that God is not a tempter and he doesn't test us. You just said that. And I know, and that's the truth. And that's the Bible. But Jesus had to go defeat the devil as his very first priority on your behalf. The very first priority of the Messiah was to defeat the devil in his number one scheme that he always works on all mankind. The battle for your mind. The first priority of God was to give us a recipe, the genius of Jesus, on how to defeat the devil. Are you ready? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, What was the very last thing that that Jesus heard right before he walked out into the wilderness? This is my son that I love in whom I'm very well pleased. The number one thing that the enemy does is he creates confusion around what God has said to you. He creates confusion around your identity with God. Now, I want you to recognize this because there's a thing in scripture called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention when you're studying scripture says that the first time you see something in scripture, it creates a blueprint and a, and a, and a, and a layout for how that thing will be seen and understood moving forward. So this is the first time in the New Testament we see the enemy as a tempter and we see his tactic. Can I take you back to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter uh, three, I believe, when they're in the garden and the snake, the serpent, the deceiver, the tempter comes to Eve. And what does she say? What does he say to Eve? He says, did God really say that you would die if you ate this? The same technique, guys. The exact same technique. Sowing a seed of doubt to come against the word of God in your life. I'll explain that more in just a moment. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't forget that. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city 
and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and if they will, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very, very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. There it is. That's what the enemy wants. That's his agenda. He's the one that said right before he was kicked out of heaven, he said, I can be like the most high. I can make myself like the most high. The enemy wants your worship. He wants your worship. He wants the position of God in your life. Jesus responds to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to see inside of this passage, three different attempts by the enemy, three different exercises of strategy by Jesus. All three of the types of temptation are represented inside of the scripture. In one encounter, Jesus defeated every type of temptation, fulfilled the prophecy that he would be a, a, a human that is uh, known or, or accustomed to temptation, just like us, even though he never sinned. Jesus is first brought the temptation of his hunger, his flesh, 40 days, no food. And the enemy says, man, you could make some of that bread right now. Mm, I know how much you like gluten, Jesus. I know how much, man, I bet you could conjure up a little, a little butter to go on it, make a little honey and butter, right? Man, man, you'd make, and Jesus is hungry. It was a real temptation. The lust of the flesh. The second temptation, Jesus, throw yourself off this, this temple. You, if, you're, if you're God, throw yourself down. Show me, show me how much the man you are. Show me how powerful you are. It's the pride of life. Are you really the son of God? Do you, I don't think you have the goods. I don't think you can actually do it. I dare you. Pride of life. The third one, Jesus, look at all the splendor of the world. I'll give you all of this splendor, the lust of the eye. Three areas of temptation, three temptations of Jesus. Jesus defeated it every single time with the exact same strategy. Are you curious the strategy of Jesus, the genius of Jesus? It comes in these three words. It is written. It is written. The first thing I want you to understand is that Jesus was filled with and followed the Holy Spirit. If you're going to defeat the enemy, you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and you need to learn how to be sensitive to the Spirit, and you need to learn how to be led by the Spirit. See, the Spirit will lead you through a path of your life, and there will be trouble at times, and there will be trials at times. There will be tests at times. It's not, the, it's not God testing you, but he's leading you through places so that you can overcome the enemy and build your faith. The testing of your faith develops perseverance, and that perseverance, the Bible says, is worth more than gold. See, the enemy, the thing that he does every time is he sows seeds of doubt. Seeds of doubt. Why? Because they're counterfeit seeds. See, they're counterfeit seeds. The, the Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith. And the Bible says that the type of faith that Jesus is looking for is like a mustard seed, an indivisible faith. It's tiny, and it, it, and, and it, but it's dense, and it's indivisible, and it'll grow into something great. So the enemy wants to sow seeds of doubt because if he can get those counterfeit seeds to grow, he can snuff out your faith, and he can keep you from pleasing God. So he goes to work in your mind to sow these thoughts, to sow these ideas, to sow these doubts, to create arguments, and so that they will build up into high places and attitudes and then fortresses that he now can control inside of your mind. 
But Jesus defeated him because Jesus was full of the word of God. It is written. Do you know the word of God? Like, do you have it memorized? Do you memorize scripture? When you're in crisis, do you know what verse to use? See, the very first thing that Jesus responded, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In scripture, there are two different words used in the Greek language for what we use as, as the word word. <laughs> Is that confusing enough? Word? Um, the word logos, which means something that was said, and the word rhema, which means something that is being said or something uttered right now. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, it's in a perpetual present and continuing sense, rhema. The Bible talks about how we wage war with prophecy. The Bible says that the sword of the spirit is our weapon for demolishing these arguments, these, these, these ideas, these thoughts, the word of the Spirit is our weapon, and the word used is rhema, the spoken, the uttered word of God. See, you can have 17 Bibles at your house, it does you no good, unless it gets in your heart and comes out of your mouth. For when you're, when you're squeezed, when you're under pressure and you're squeezed, you see what comes out of you. I saw what came out of me this week. Didn't like it. Had to repent. Had to confess to my wife. Had to say, man, this triggered something deep. There was something in me. That, that scared me. I don't like that guy. Whoever that guy was, I don't, like, don't want to be that guy. I missed a moment where I could have defeated the enemy. Fell into a trap. Happens to the best of us. But if you don't memorize the word, see, Jesus grew up in the Jewish tradition. He went to all the Jewish school. In Jewish school at five years old, they started them memorizing the Bible. By the time they graduated from, from the lower schools, they literally had the entire Torah memorized. Their entire life was built on understanding and knowing and memorizing the Torah and living their life out of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I grew up in churches where we, we had all kinds of drills where we had to memorize scripture and quote scripture and, and, and flip through the Bible and find the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. Guys, if you don't have a grip, a firm grip on the word of God and know the word of God and fill yourself up with the word of God, you will be easy pickings for the enemy. Because you don't know what, you, you, don't, you don't have, your, your sword's not sharp. It's in a book somewhere. It's in a Google search somewhere. Oh, that's the great news. You need a verse on anything? Rabbi Google. Search it up. You can find it like that. List of 42 verses on dealing with temptation, 42 verses on lust, and 72 verses on doubt, and 38 verses. I mean, you could do Google, but, but it doesn't do any good unless you memorize it. You need it in your heart. Why? So it can come out of your mouth. Jesus declared the word with his mouth. He declared the word with his mouth. You have got to get the word of God in you so that you have a weapon to war with, so that you can say, uh-uh, devil, it is written. It is written. Your mouth needs to become very sharp. We, we got any athletes in here? Former athletes? Current athletes? You know what a trash talker is? 
Brandon is a trash talker. You ever play, you ever play ping pong with Brandon? He will trash talk you like no, nobody's business. I remember there's a time Brandon and I played basketball one-on-one. He was trash talking me so bad, but he'd hurt his leg, so I beat him. Anyway, um, there's no way I would have beat him if he didn't have a hurt leg. <laughs> that's, that's a true story because I'm horrible at basketball. It's my worst sport. Um, but man, my, I, I was a trash talker in, in my sport when I would play. I would get, we played volleyball with my daughter's little 13-year-old girls. Their, her birthday party was a sand volleyball tournament. I talked so much smack to those little girls, trash talking them under the net, all this, you're not, I got you, girl. I, I mean, I'm just trash talking nonstop. Why? I want to get in their head so I can defeat them and show my superiority over 12-year-old girls on the volleyball court. <laughs> Listen, the enemy, the devil is a trash talker. He will trash talk you. He'll talk so much smack to you. He'll, you'll, you'll have a thought in your head. And instantly, it's like, you're not even really a Christian. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't, look, you wouldn't think about that. If you were really a Christian, if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't. Uh, you, don't think, you don't think the enemy beat me up about messing up and yelling at somebody this week? Trying to beat me up? Oh, that's who you really are, huh? Yeah, that's who you are. That, that's, that's, what, that's what the enemy's voice does. The enemy's voice is, is tempting you and leading you into that thing. And then the second you do, it's shaming you and guilting you. Yeah, that's who you really are. Oh, yeah, all your Christianity, all that. You're just such a fake. All that fake Christianity. You, you, you talk a good game, but that's who you really are. Let, listen, it goes back to Paul. What I want to do, I, I keep messing up and I, I keep failing. But there's this sin in me that I'm fighting against. I'm waging war against it. But it's not really me. The enemy wants to convince you that you are your sin. That's your identity. And if he can convince you of that, he's won. Because your identity is Jesus. Jesus is your identity. That, that's why there's such a movement in our modern age to, to, to have a label that is, a, that is a, an identity that's a temporary human existence label that supersedes everything. So the color of your skin is your identity. This supersedes every other decision. Your, your gender is an, or your change of your gender is an identity that supersedes every other part of your life. Your, your sexual preference is your identity that supersedes your status in life, your work, what you've accomplished is your identity, and this is who I am, and, and it supersedes every other part. And all of those things don't exist in heaven. All of those things are temporary. They're worthless. They're zero when it comes to eternity. Your brownness or whatever doesn't matter in heaven. Your whiteness doesn't matter in heaven. Your, your, your gender doesn't matter in heaven. There's no more marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. Don't be relieved. <laughs> Jennifer and I, we're always like, where's your house going to be? I'm coming to your house. You're not getting away from me. <laughs> See, it's an insidious trick. It's an insidious trick by wicked and evil people. That, that we would tie up, that we would tie up the identity of murdering babies into freedom for a woman. A woman has the freedom to choose. And at the same time, the same people won't even define what a woman is because they don't have a doctor's degree and they're not a biologist. Morons, idiots. Let me tell you what this, this whole agenda is about. You want to know what the whole agenda is about? Killing brown people. Do you understand that? Planned Parenthood started by a devout racist who wanted to kill brown people, eradicate brown people. Do you know that to this day, only 20% of all abortions are white people? 
80% of all abortions every year, a million a year, 800,000 brown babies. 80, 90% of Planned Parenthoods are inside of brown and black neighborhoods. And the deception, this is about freedom. No, it's about controlling population. The enemy, he's a, he's a master deceiver. Master deceiver. <laughs> a number of, year, number of months ago, we had a sweet lady, Alveda King, Martin Luther King's niece was here. And she, she, she grew up, I'm not going to name whatever political affiliations or whatever, I don't want to play that, but she used to be extremely liberal. Um, she had three abortions. And, then, and now she's a pro-life advocate and, and she's a conservative advocate, very, very loud voice. And I asked her, I said, what happened, Alvita? How did you go from three abortions and all of this liberal agenda and all of that to now pro-life and conservative and biblical, whatever she says, oh, that's easy, honey, I got saved. I'm like, wow. I got saved, and my biblical perspective led me away from all of the lies and the deception. I realized they had been running a game on me my entire life. The final point is this, Jesus resisted the devil. Jesus said, away from me, depart from me. You have to resist it. You don't have to beat the devil. He's already been defeated. Jesus defeated him. Your job is to stand up. Your job is to stand up for who you are. Your job is to stand up for the word of God. Your job is to open up your mouth and declare God's word. Your job is to speak when you're tempted, when the enemy's coming against you, fill in your mind, fill in your thoughts. Your, your job is to stand up and say, uh-uh, no, devil, that's not how it's going. I'm not giving in to you. I'm not gonna allow you to do this anymore. See, it's gotta come to a place where you begin to disassociate from the way that you used to be and say, that's not me. I'm not living that way anymore. This is who I am. No, devil, let me tell you something. You gotta talk a little trash to the devil. You know what? I give you permission to talk trash to the devil. Say whatever you want. Use all the words you want to use. Talk to the devil all you want that way. You have permission. Because he is every one of those bad words. I'm just kidding. Come on, don't get offended. Trash talk him. Use the word of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the, you better know the word. God has, it's not about my holiness, devil. God made me holy. I have, I have faith righteousness. It's not about my actions. It's about my righteousness by faith. I've given my life to Jesus. You have no hold on me anymore. I'm not going back down that path. That's not who I am. I'm a child of God. I've been justified. I've been forgiven. That's not who I'm going to be anymore. That's not my lifestyle. I'm a different person. If you leave it in your head, you'll be defeated. If you put the battle in your mouth, why does it matter the battle being in your mouth? The word of God coming out of it. Why does it matter? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the Bible describes. When you declare the word out of your mouth, it fires up your faith. If you just think the word of God, it doesn't have the same effect. It does make a difference. But when you declare it out of your mouth, it extra. It, it exponentially expands and grows and fires up your faith. It builds up your faith. It's time for us to be people that will stand up and declare, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. God, I'm an imperfect person. I have imperfect 
delivery. I'm a flawed individual that I question your decision for picking on a regular basis. But you picked me. You picked us. You picked all of us. People watching online in other states and other countries. People right here in the room. You picked us. Imperfect people. Weak, flawed vessels. And your word declares that you chose to hide your glory inside of earthen vessels. Humans that you describe as jars of clay. Your glory is hidden inside. Father, just pray this across the room. Let's, let's, let's just get right with the Lord right now. Just pray, pray this across the room. Say, Father, forgive me for my weakness, for falling into temptation, for acting sinfully. I need forgiveness. I need grace. Jesus, you're my Lord. I believe you rose from the dead. I give my life to you. Satan, I serve you notice. I will no longer obey you. You have no right to me. I come against you now in the name of Jesus. I serve you notice right now in the name of Jesus. I will no longer obey you. I am holy. I am righteous. I am justified. I am forgiven. I am washed by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in me. I am full of God's power. I am an overcomer. I have faith. And my faith is victorious. And I will not bow down and worship you or obey you in any way, shape, and form. My life belongs to God, and I will glorify him with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has... We want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.